So here we go. We're ready to go. Uh, do you remember Romans 6.22 from last week? Do you remember it? You remember me bumbling through trying to memorize Romans 6.22 last week? Well, I sure hope you do. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Romans 6.22. I hope that you reviewed that this week and that you have that in your mind. So we're going to carry on today in our series on Matthew. And as we do, I, I ask you, I'm going to pause and ask you to keep up with each week because as we work through Matthew, it's really, each week is building upon what's happened previously in the book of Matthew. And so I just, I just encourage you, the scripture is a complete work. It's a big picture, not just a bunch of little snippets of teaching and wisdom. So to that end, as we work through Matthew together, there's, there's no doubt there's going to be things that you may miss if you miss a few weeks. As we go further down the road, things down the road won't make as much sense. Matthew builds a really solid foundation for us in these first four chapters, and he builds upon it in the rest of the book. And, I mean, besides the fact that you probably don't have a whole lot happening in your lives in the evenings, extracurriculars right now anyways, why not binge the Bible? Why not be a part of this local body and stay on track to where we're going together? This body that you're actually a vital piece of. I know you're going to be blessed for it. And so today we have another special treat. Today we have a video of the scripture reading for today by Lynn Summers has sent me this video and I'm so excited that we get to do this. I'm really, really pleased that she has been able to, to record this for us. Here's the reading for today. Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of which is sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, people living in darkness have seen a great light. On, the, on those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. From the time on Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, he healed them. Large groups from Galilee and Decapolis 
Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lynn. Uh, so special to have you do that and, and to be able to have a little bit of uh, participation besides just me alone in a uh, church this morning. So thank you for that. More stories about Jesus and how amazing Jesus is this morning. We just saw Jesus come out of his time in the wilderness of 40 days of, of fasting and, and prayer, being with the Father, talking with the Father being tempted by the devil, and not falling into and failing this test and the temptation, but he came out victorious. And so he's coming out of this. How many of you know that, that fasting and prayer, it doesn't weaken you? It actually makes you so much stronger in the spirit. It actually makes, fasting and prayer actually makes you so much stronger so Jesus came out of that place, and he was appropriately prepared for the next phase. He was appropriately prepared because now he was entering the public ministry. And as we've seen many times in Matthew already, Jesus, he just keeps ticking all those boxes, and Matthew keeps bringing it up. He keeps ticking those boxes from the Old Testament prophets. Remember, Jesus is the but, but to the Old Testament, but, da, 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 da. Remember, he, he is the fulfillment of it. Matthew 4, 15 and 16, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The Messiah that was promised, this is from Isaiah chapter 9, the Messiah that was promised is here. And Matthew's saying, good news, everybody. If you haven't got it yet, this is good news, good news bulletin, right? The gospel. We see Jesus then, he begins his ministry in, in Capernaum of Galilee and surrounding area around there with the same kind of message that John the Baptist had. And it was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here, and to enter into it, you must repent. Turn from your evil ways and pursue holiness. And so Jesus, he starts to create quite a stir in Galilee. And it was for good reason. It says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus is going and he's teaching with power and he's teaching with authority that even the leaders of the synagogue had never seen before. And he's going around not only that, but he is healing people. And great crowds started to follow him. I want you to picture for a moment this morning yourself among those crowds. As much as you can, use your imagination. This amazing teacher, he's, he's traveling from town to town. He comes to your small town. And you have your, your friend from, from childhood. And, and as long as you've known him, he's been crippled. He hasn't been able to walk. And this teacher comes into your town, and, and there's crowds, and you're in this crowd. And, and this teacher heals your friend. Your friend can now walk couldn't walk before as long as you've known him, and now he can walk. That 
is not just something to read through and say, ah, whatever, that's Jesus. No, that, if you were there, this is, a, this is a huge deal. It's still a huge deal. You know, picture yourself there. You've just been under Roman oppression, the nation of Israel, for about 50 or so years. And life, life is just hard. And most of these people, these people that Jesus was going to in Galilee, these were the outcasts. They were the poor. They were the sickly. They were the ones that had no standing in society. And now some great teacher, he actually takes time for you. He actually takes time to teach you, and he actually takes time to heal you. And so Jesus comes, and he is, he is starting his ministry, and he is defying every social norm of the day. A truly great teacher of the law and a holy man, he would never have anything to do with those lowly people. It would have been seen as way below him. But that's exactly who Jesus brings the good news of the kingdom to first. It's completely upside down to what we would expect a new great king to do. But God's kingdom is is completely upside down. It's completely upside down from the way of the world. And this upside down kingdom is the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. He came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. That that kingdom idea that, that God is coming to restore the earth back to, and, and he's coming to restore his rightful rule and his reign on the earth in the hearts and in the lives of humanity. He's restoring the earth, and he's healing broken humanity, and he's reversing the curse of sin. And healing the sick and, and, and healing the hurting is exactly putting on display an example of that plan of God's restoration beginning in the world. It's beginning. The kingdom of heaven is finally here. What Jesus was doing as he was ministering was an outpouring of the kingdom of heaven reality here on earth through the person of Jesus. And these folks were witnessing it firsthand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it still is. And it still is here and now, and yet it's still to come in fullness when Jesus Returns. COVID-19 is a perfect reminder. But one day there's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more pain. And there's going to be no more, no more demonic oppression at all. There's going to be just God and his people. And that is good news. Amen? Actually say amen in your homes. Amen. That's good news. But man, what an exciting time it must have been to be in Galilee during these times when Jesus was, was starting his ministry. In verse 18 to 22, we see Jesus. He's calling four of his 12 disciples that would essentially be his inner circle of followers. And I think it, it helps us, again, to use our imaginations. Put yourself into the story, well, as much as possible. You're a first-century Jewish fisherman or fisherwoman, and some new, very popular teacher, he's coming, oh, and, and to use the language of the day, rabbi, 
teacher is, he's a rabbi. Jesus was acting as a rabbi. He's going around the synagogues teaching. And this rabbi, he calls you to be his disciple. These are the ones Jesus would spend, he's going to spend a whole lot of time. He's going to raise them up. He's going to spend a lot of time and energy and teaching them the ways of the kingdom of heaven. We see in in verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I love the phrase that Matthew uses. It leaves absolutely no room for hesitation on the part of these four men. It says immediately. Immediately they left what they knew and they followed Jesus. They answered the call, follow me. And Jesus of Nazareth, he now becomes the rabbi to these disciples, Rabbi Yeshua. This morning, I want to unpack a little bit of the the cultural context that these guys find themselves in here, because it's actually profound what Jesus is doing here, but it gets lost on us non-Jews 2,000 years down the road. But I think it only makes me more in awe of Jesus and how amazing he is to think of these things, but it also has great implications for us as we too answer the call of Jesus in our own lives. Follow me, he says. So education in those days, it started at the age of five, and only boys were the ones who were to be educated in that culture. And besides what my seven-year-old thinks, it's not because boys are smarter than girls, it's just because that is the way it worked in that culture. They just played a different role. So five-year-old boys, they would head to the local synagogue, and uh, they would learn Hebrew, and they would memorize the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And it kind of puts us to shame for bumbling through last week's verse, doesn't it? Uh, Maybe a little more incentive to not give up on the memorization that we talked about last week. These guys, by the time they had their bar mitzvah being recognized as men at the age of 13, they would have memorized the Torah, the prophets, and the other writings in the Hebrew scriptures like the Psalms and Proverbs. So when I say, when I've said throughout that the readers of Matthew would have known what Matthew was getting at when he was referencing the Old Testament, I mean they really did. They had the thing memorized. It's amazing. Any young men then who showed great promise, I mean, most everybody had, had this memorized, but anyone who showed extra promise would be encouraged to continue their education after their bar mitzvah. The others, the others would go into apprenticeship um, or a trade of some sort, either the, the family business or by getting to work with someone who is willing to take them on. This is like carpenters and farmers and fishermen, right? And that's, that's the four guys that we find ourselves with today who were chosen and called by Jesus. Those guys that didn't make the cut originally, and now they're, they're fishing. 
But for those who were, who were chosen to continue in the Hebrew training after the age of 13, they'd spend the next few years studying the authority and the interpretation of the Torah. So they had it memorized, but now they needed to spend some time actually digging into what does it mean and how do we interpret this. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so after that few years phase, the ones who showed extreme promise, so now we're, we're cutting the field back even, even smaller now, they, those who, who had great intellectual understanding, they were encouraged to spend another few years in intensive training under a rabbi. This was usually from ages 17 to 20, and only the, the top, like the cream of the crop, only they would get to this point. But but being under a rabbi's training was a big deal. A rabbi, he would only choose a select few from a whole bunch that would be desperately wanting to be his disciple. He would only choose the ones who he was sure would measure up to his standard. They had to measure up to his standard. And the entire goal here was that these disciples, they would eventually become just like their rabbi. They were looking for carbon copies of the rabbi. That was the entire goal. A rabbi had no interest in investing in anyone if he didn't think that they could become just like him. Even Jesus, Jesus acknowledges this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the plan as a rabbi, and everyone knew it. Disciple the student to become just like me. And if the rabbi judged that someone had the potential to be trained up to be just like him, he uttered those words that every potential candidate would have desperately wanted to hear. Follow me. And when you heard that, you knew then, as a disciple, that you were of some high caliber. You made it. You got it through the process, and you are, you are important. You are special. And at this point, there were two major expectations. You made the cut. You get to be this rabbi's disciple. There was two expectations. First is that this, you would be said, follow me, would say, come be with me. Do life with and and. And be with the rabbi to learn his work, to learn his life and his ways. And second, that you would need to submit. That you would need to submit fully to the rabbi's authority. That you would need to be absolutely under the teaching of the rabbi. Whatever thoughts or beliefs the young man would have had prior to becoming the disciple of this rabbi, the expectation was that those would be completely erased and you would fully take on every belief of the rabbi that you were under. No questions. Absolute submission to the rabbi's authority went hand in hand then with the call to follow me, to be with me. And in this way, the disciple then was raised up to be just like the rabbi. So in this passage we read today, we see, we see Jesus as a rabbi. And he's calling disciples to himself, right? But he was doing it unlike any other. There was, there was no rabbi doing what Jesus was doing. These were, these were fishermen. 
they've already proven that they did not make the cut. There is no pedigree. There's nothing. No one is here is any particularly bright out of these four. Or, and there's nothing much special about them at all. They're kind of middle-of-the-road guys. Yet Jesus called them. So the miracle work, working, he's miracle worker. He's going and he's healing people. He's preaching with power. He, he has great authority, and he's a great teacher, and he's calling these lesser thans in society. This is what Jesus is doing. So if you think of the way of a rabbi, how on earth are these fishermen going to measure up to that level to be just like their rabbi? How, how were they going to do the things that their rabbi did and become like him in belief and in character? Well, from the outside, it would seem that Jesus is making a very foolish decision because there's obviously no way these guys are going to measure up. But that's just it. It was never about the strength of the disciples. It was never about the strength of the men who Jesus was calling. Jesus looked right at these fishermen, and he knew what they were all about, and he said, follow me. He chose them because Jesus, Jesus is a rabbi like no other rabbi. And they would indeed, it's, it's so cool that they, these fishermen, they would be miracle-working, power-preaching, spirit-filled men like their rabbi. It, like, it's, it's amazing he can actually take the humblest and the weakest of people and through his power make them like him, like their rabbi. He can actually do this. He can take the weakest of people with humble hearts and make them like him. Of course, no one is ever going to attain Jesus' standard. He is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh, but the potential that a disciple has under Rabbi Jesus is massive. It's massive. Jesus looked forward to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be the power and the strength for any disciple, for his disciples to learn and his disciples to become like Rabbi Jesus. And in Matthew 28, right before he ascended to heaven, Jesus, he gave the great commission to his disciples to go and make more disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And he says these wonderful words, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, he had an eternal view in mind when he called these guys. And, and it was a, a view that knew that he would always be with us, that he would always be with his disciples, which is why he can see Simon, and he renames him Peter right away. And he says that the church will be built on that rock, and that he would be a fisher of men, even though there was no grid for that at all. And it was true. Even though Peter had nothing in him to make Jesus want to call him, Jesus chose these disciples anyway. And it proves the upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven. And it shows the power of God in great measure. 
This is also our reality as we answer the call of Jesus, follow me. Jesus says to you, follow me. This is Jesus' words to you this morning. He says, repent. Be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Be with me, Rabbi Jesus, as, as your teacher and your guide. And we then, we get to submit fully to his authority and to his teaching. And we get to see then how, how he works and he transforms into his very nature and character. Matthew 4.23 tells us he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus' main message, and I mean, you can't, you can't not go a page throughout Matthew and not hear about the kingdom of heaven. It was about the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 5, which we're going to start uh, very soon, we're, well, we're there. We're at Matthew 5. It starts, it's all red. If you have red letters, it's all red letters. Matthew 5 through 7. This is Jesus speaking. And this is Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And so as we come underneath Rabbi Jesus' teaching, and we get to submit fully to his authority, we actually get to come into Matthew 5 to 7, called the Sermon on the Mount, and we get to know that these are the words of Christ. And we get to know that as we submit to this, it might stir strife in us if we're, if we're part of loving this world at all, but we know that there's life and light in his words. And we, we will transform us as we align with that teaching. And so as we enter well, the next months to come, we're really going to dig into this teaching on the kingdom of heaven in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm really looking forward. I trust that it is going to be incredibly transformative. And it's going to lead us to becoming more like him, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe even the works that he did, even the works that Jesus did, for us, for us to be called, to be called and, and have those words, follow me, it's a, it's, it's a great privilege. And so as we, as we conclude today, I'm going to leave you with, with a couple of things to, to ponder. And I encourage you, um, think about these things throughout the week. But I also will challenge you to have a conversation. with it. I'm going to leave you two things to ponder. Have a conversation with someone, a brother or sister, about what I am sharing with you today. Just, just share. You don't have to have all the answers, but just share where you're at and, and, and glean from one another. I encourage you to have these conversations. Uh, reach out and talk with someone about these things, or maybe even just in your household uh, here this morning. So here's number one. Number one, Jesus called people who didn't have it all together. They didn't have it all together. He saw value and he saw potential in them because they're fearfully and wonderfully made. But they were weak, but they were transformed by the power of God. That's what we see in this passage. So here's a question for you. Do you feel at times like you just can't measure up? Do you feel like you just can't measure up? 
Well, that's not the point. That is not the point of the gospel. Or perhaps, do you feel the flip side of that? Do you feel that you can make it on your own? Do you feel that you can make it on your own? You can't. You cannot make it on your own. Ask Jesus in prayer. Ask Jesus in prayer, Lord, how do you see me here? Where am I at with this? Lord, where are we at with this? I know he values you, and I know that his strength is enough. I know that his strength is enough. It's all we've got. I'll let you think about that. In the days to come, number two, have you fully submitted to Jesus? Like his teaching and his way of life. Do you love the the salvation and the, yes, I accept Jesus because I want to go to heaven and try to then still run your own life? Or have you fully submitted to Jesus' teaching and way of life, the kingdom of heaven? Have you submitted to his authority, authority in your life? I'm going to encourage you to pray that, that God would open your eyes to areas that need to be submitted to Jesus. There's always areas some of us more than others. But as you submit, it's, it's freedom and it's life. Pray that God would open your eyes to areas that need to be submitted to him. And then submit. Repent and make the change. It's freedom. It's freedom and it's life. I'm going to email out these questions so that you can, you can think about them this week. And I really, really look forward to going through the Sermon on the Mount together from a place of submission to our teacher and our rabbi, Jesus, that we would learn his ways and be transformed by him. I have such an expectation that Jesus is going to teach us so much and we're going to experience freedom and transformation as we submit to his teaching. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us today. Thank you for your heart that that just sees us as we are, and you know very well that we cannot measure up. That's not what this Christian life is about. But it's about surrender. Surrendering our thoughts and our ways to a king. A king who is tender and loving king who is all-powerful, a king who can heal, a king who can cast out demons, a king who went to the cross, the one who, though he was God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself. God, you became man in Jesus. And you experienced things that you didn't deserve to experience. And you walked to the cross, and even right before then, you stooped to wash your disciples' feet. 
Jesus, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways that we would be so transformed, our hearts, our lives, that we would love others in the same way that you love us. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are and all that you do. We look forward to digging into the Sermon on the Mount in the months to come, and I pray that it would shape our hearts by your Holy Spirit speaking, that we would submit to you as king, as rabbi. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you. May this day be marked by worship. As we're going about our normal tasks, may we have those moments of just, wow, God is here in this place. I pray that in each home, each place, that anybody's listening to this, you would be there. You would be present. We thank you for your love for us in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Stay tuned to your emails. There's probably going to be one going out even this afternoon for some updates and, and different uh, details on plans that are happening in the next months to come. I love you, church. I miss you so much. Can't wait to worship together again. Maybe sing a few songs this afternoon as you continue about your day. Just worship Jesus. Just put it on your, on your radio. Do, do what you got to do, but just worship God today. This is, this is the day that he has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Bless you, church. I love you.